Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Explore the next wave of innovation at CES 2018. Discover the latest breakthrough technologies in virtual reality, artificial intelligence, smart cities, and more. Featuring an extensive show floor, visionary speakers, and lucrative networking events, CES is a global event like no other. Register today at CES.tech. Welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking with Neil deGrasse Tyson about his series, Star Talk. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and it's my pleasure to welcome Neil deGrasse Tyson. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? This is my first on on the on the show here. I think. Yeah. Well, thank. We, we're happy to have you with us. You, uh, you know, I've been around. You could have called. You could. I know. I'm sorry. You know, it's just there's you know there's so many people and you could have texted. You know, I mean, I mean, you were just texting with Bill Nye. So. Oh yeah, just I'm in town. Just a, a little name dropping. <laughs> So congratulations on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and how's it going so far? So it's been going great. It's our fourth season, and we're in the middle of it now. And I think a couple of things that surprised us, delightfully surprised us, mm-hmm. is that in each of the first three seasons, we were nominated for an Emmy. Congratulations. For outstanding informational... Pro- we didn't win, but... Uh, I hear it's an honor just to be nominated. <laughs> <laughs> so let me say that, but mean it, right? So... It was an honor just to be nominated, uh, primarily because it's the first ever talk show based on science on television. That's amazing. Yes, it is. Dis- it's disturbingly flattering that we. I happen to be part of the first time ever, but disturbed that why would it have taken this long? Exactly. And so there's that fact, and it, and the fact that we were noticed at all, it could have easily been overlooked. There's tons of. Excellent TV, especially in these days. I, sure. I, I'm sure I'm not the only one to observe that it's some somewhat of a, a an emergent golden age of television with the quality of writing and TV series and and the and the the spread of talent across so many platforms, you know, streaming and mm-hmm. traditional TV and cable and and, and so an so, iPhone. I, I, so <laughs> the fact that it got noticed at all, I think um, we were enchanted by that and. We're just continuing, and so right now we're in the middle of our fourth season. Uh, the Star Talk as a concept predates the TV version of it. It was a Star Talk radio show, and it mm-hmm. still is. Uh, Fifty shows a year, we do one a week. But what National Geographic does is they look over our shoulder and say, "Hmm, we're going to take these twenty and make those into television." So, so twenty of those fifty are done in a in a in a whole you know TV studio. Actually, it's a the whole of the universe of the American Museum of Natural History. That's great. It gets retooled into a studio. And so that's what's uh, airing this fall. How do you choose which 20 make it to TV? Well, that, Nat Geo does. I think they, they, they cherry pick it. They get some of the coolest guests that we have. They say, oh, that, that's TV. Let's do that. 
Uh, so yeah, it's. I think it's just who's the coolest. Sure. Um, and but in t- it's. The, I'm proud of the mix of what we get over the 50 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 20 that go to National Geographic, it slightly leans to high fame. So for example, I, I don't know when this will post, but. Uh, this coming weekend is Katy Perry. That's amazing. Right, now, you, now, you can't get higher pop culture currency than Katy Perry. So, of course, Nacho took uh, lifted it up. And uh, but, How did you book Katy? So, it turns out, I'm, I'm surprised to learn that many sort of high brand name celebrities know of my work, or at least know, have come to care about the universe because of my work. And when they learn that they could be on something that I'm producing, that they they jump at that occasion because they know I'll be fair and that I'll we just want to have fun. Mm-hmm. And on Star Talk, uh, unlike what you might think is the tr- the traditional model of a science show where there's a journalist interviewing a scientist, well, if you're going to tune into that, you have to know in advance that you like science because every time it's going to be science, some scientist talking about science. So we inverted that model. The host of the show is a scientist, me. The guest is someone you've probably heard of, hewn from pop culture, and is generally not a scientist. If they are a scientist, we have them on the show because they did something of high pop culture value, mm-hmm. and that you would, would have known of them through those channels. So in the conversation is I explore all the ways that science has touched their lives and their livelihood. So with... Katy Perry, you might say, well, what science are you going to talk about with Katy Perry? Well, her latest album has a song that, as far as I can tell, she wants to bone an alien. Okay, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what the lyrics are saying. So I had to sort of get to the bottom of that one. Um, but uh, she's in her mid-30s and uh, never went to college. She has a GED, actually, and from high school and has remained curious her entire life. She was asking questions of me. I said, look, who's, who's, in, who's holding this interview? And she, her questions kept coming back to me. And they had a kind of a childhood curiosity about it, something that I think we all take for granted as adults, having once had it as children. We see it in children, they're just being a kid. Right. No, they're being, yes, they're being a kid. But more importantly, they're discovering their environment and everything around them. And they're questioning new, everything. Questioning everything. And that's something that we get beaten out of us by the time we're in middle school or uh, I don't know. But I can tell you this, that if you retain that curiosity into adulthood, that's basically what we call a scientist. So what makes for a good guest for your show? So we have very high... These are great questions, by the way. I'm glad you You should do this professionally, (laughs) you know? I think I should. I have an idea. Maybe I'll start a podcast. You should start a podcast. You should work for like a a newspaper, a magazine. I wonder if Variety's hiring. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, I, I don't prejudge who's going to be a good guest or a bad guest because I'm not actually interviewing them in the final cut of the show. The interview takes place in my office or someplace opportunistic if I happen to be visiting a city. It could be just in some kind of you know hotel suite or a wherever they can set up cameras and lights. If it's convenient to both parties, then we do it. And so... I uh, out of that interview, I just explore and I ask questions. There's some questions that'll show up no matter who the guest is. I'll say any memories you have from from school, uh, good or bad s- 
uh, science teachers or math teachers, and everybody's got some story. Did they have a crush on a teacher? Did they not like the teacher? Did they hate math after that teacher? They have a great teacher, but then didn't follow up on it. There's always some story there. Definitely. And then somebody also has an uncle or a parent who might have been an engineer or a scientist or not. And then here they are. They like science, but their parents are not. Are there pressures against it? So I'm always intrigued how people navigated their early lives with regard to their relationship with science. And then in their professional life, let's say they're, they're an actor and they just did some movie that had a lot of CGI. Well, that's science, the technology touching their lives. And for example, we had um, uh, uh, Serkin, what's his first name? Um, Aaron. A- Aaron Serkin. Uh, no, Aaron? Uh, Aaron Serkin or the no, actor not Aaron Serkin. Andy Serkis? Okay, sorry. I get it. Andy Serkis. <laughs> you can edit. <laughs> uh, we had Andy Serkis as a Perfect. guest, and we talked about uh, his motion capture company, sure. where he is he, he was King Kong in the most recent King Kong film, and he's uh, Caesar, the chimpanzee, and in the Planet of the Apes revivals, and he's he was Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, and oh my gosh, somebody that's the same guy. And we talked about the technology that touched. <clears throat> we talked about the technology that touched that, and the um, what role that has played in the arc of his career. So there's always something you can talk about. And for me, Star Talk as a product, as a media product, is a is a way to expose the fan of the guest to the fact that science is everywhere. And if you're someone who thought science wasn't for you, or you didn't care about it, or maybe you actively disliked it, but you're a fan of the guest. You come for the celebrity, but you stay for the science. That's how we. That's how we run it. Is that why you think audiences have responded so much to the show? Yes, yes. I mean, I, when a show is doing well, you can come up with anything and just say that's the reason. It's hard to test against that because everything's going well, right? It's harder to find out why something's not going well. And, and put your finger on that and then fix it and see if everything turns around. But because the this, this show is, is, is doing well, it has a, a, a growing fan base, uh, I, I think it's because we, we have fun. I, I have a co-host who is always a professional stand-up comedian. We have a, a stable of about a half a dozen of them that we select from depending on the topic and what the comedian might be best at in reacting to. And I'm there and I'm, I, I hold a steering wheel in the final cut of the show and uh, we'll also also might bring in an academic expert. So I don't have expertise in programming computers for CGI, but I'll bring someone in who is. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about well, what does that take? How many hours? Why are there a thousand people in the credits at the end of a movie? Or they're under the computer. To, what's go, what's everybody doing? Mm-hmm. Right. So the celebrity conversation triggers the follow up conversation in the studio. That then gets cut into the final show. And so they have an academic expert that's a valve of gravity in the conversation. I have a, a comedian as a valve of levity. And I'm turning these knobs so that I always hit a consistent delivery of information and, and, and enlightenment and entertainment. You really seem to have hit on that formula of balancing pop culture with science, so making it that something that everyone can really respond to. How much, how immersed are you in pop culture? Do you go to a lot of movies and do you watch a lot of TV? Again, a great question. So, uh, so I, so here's how I do it. I, I cheat. Okay. So if there's a really popular show, uh, so I, I might watch. Should I even admit this to the TV editor mm-hmm. of 
variety. <laughs> I watch maybe six hours of TV a week. And I know you'd rather it be 30 hours yes, than okay. double digit, high double digit. It's like a knife through my heart. It's fine. <laughs> this interview's over. <laughs> so Just don't ask me any science questions. It'll be fine. So maybe six. I could, it could go to 10. If it's 10, it's because I'm multitasking while it's on, uh, doing some low, you know, low level emails. So, so uh, what happens is in those 10 hours, I handpick... A, sub, a representative subset of what everyone is watching. So I can have some fluency in it. Everyone's talking about Stranger Things. Right? i got to pick up some of those episodes, right? Mm-hmm. No, I can't watch two seasons of it, all right, because they just posted the full second season. I'll pick up maybe five episodes. How about Rick and Morty? i got to watch that. He's moving through multiple dimensions, and people ask me about it. What do I think of it? So i I got I to gotta load up. And I load up not by binging, but by handpicking certain episodes. And I'll even get help from people who do binge, who want me to... It's who want me to be who help me be selective about what episodes I watch. I'll definitely watch the uh, watch event television, like at the Super Bowl or things like that. And that way, I have some fluency, so that when I'm, it's time for me to have a conversation with a person, I know they come already equipped with a scaffold of pop culture, about seventy to eighty percent of which I have some fluency in, twenty percent probably not. But what I do then is I say, well, how do I attach a fix, this science to that quadrant of that scaffold? And how, does it, how do I attach the science to the other part? And when I do that, you're going to care more about the science because I made it relevant to something that you brought to the table. And we don't have to start it from scratch. If I can give an example, a quick example. Please. I was channel surfing, waiting for a movie to come on at 6 o'clock. And I came across a football game that had just ended mm-hmm. 50, at a quarter to 6 just ended and they went into overtime which is a 15 minute quarter that they play so i said i got 15 minutes it'll, it'll take longer than 15 minutes of course with commercials but i'll just hang out here all right i'm watching the game and it's the Bengals against seattle somebody i forgot exactly but definitely cincinnati Bengals. and after the requisite exchange of possession it then goes into sudden death overtime mm-hmm. now sudden deaths are typically ended with a field goal so sure enough Bengals get into field goal range and they kick their 55-yard field goal. And there it is. And the ball is tumbling and everyone is holding their breath. And it tumbles and it hits the left upright and careens in for the win. And I said, wait a minute. So I quickly looked up a Google map of that stadium. It was a line mostly north-south. I looked at the distance, the arc, did a calculation, and I said, OMG. This ball was, and I tweeted this, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the for the win field goal of the Cincinnati Bengals was assisted by a third of an inch deflection to the right because of Earth's rotation. <laughs> this went out there, it might have been a half an inch, I forgot which. And because you have a round ball hitting a round post, a fraction of an inch completely changes that trajectory right. as any baseball player knows mm-hmm. if you're off by a quarter of an inch it's a pop-up or it's a long home run or it's a ground out where depending where a round bat hits the hits the cylindrical bat hits a round ball so so i posted this and oh my gosh people like espn got a hold of it and the local news and cincinnati and earth helped the cincinnati <laughs> win and people said mind blown and so 
So watch what happens here. I didn't have to explain what football is, what a field goal is, what sudden death means. You came to the table with that understanding. 55-yard field goal required no explanation from me. So you can go straight to the meat. Excuse me, we're in L.A. Straight to the vegetables of that (laughs) comment. Straight to the carrots and celery of that comment. The kale. The kale. 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 Straight to the kale and quinoa of that comment. Much better. Now everyone understands what we're talking about. Well, now we're talking. Uh, And you can learn that there was a deflection to the right. And it was a half an inch. Earth's rotation. And so in that case, I was exploiting your knowledge of football as an excuse to talk about the things the rotating earth does. Then I thought to myself, okay, now that I have everybody, let me backload that tweet with a couple other tweets. And I said, this is the same force that makes storms rotate clockwise on earth. We call it the Coriolis. But then I had to be Professor Neil. Of but course. once I had you. So once you come in with pop culture, I'm going to be writing it. Right. And the more I know of pop culture, the the more equipped I am to accomplish that. So I come in loaded, lock, you know, with the, my utility belt. And, you know, do I know who Katy Perry is and what she does and what her songs are? Who who Kelly Clarkson is? Who, um, you know, what did something weird happen at the Country Music Awards? Was the did someone say something stupid or smart at the Emmy Awards? I have to, I yes. So I invested Instead of being at the lab discovering astrophysics, I am paying attention to what everybody else is paying attention to so that I can become a better communicator. You definitely seem to use Twitter to comment on all of that. How much do you want to weigh in when something's just pure fantasy? I mean, so are you going to weigh in on Stranger Things or Game of Thrones? I know you like to do it. So people, I think I I became misunderstood after a few of my tweets. People wanted to brand me as a a buzzkill. And I was just trying to, I just thought I was helping, mm-hmm. you know, and I've done less of it because some people just got really pissed off. Really? That's... Oh, no, they got pissed off in a way that I thought was unfair, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, I would say something that the, the show would get the science wrong, or I'd suggest how they could do it better. Mm-hmm. Next time they said, oh, you're ruining it for everybody. Why do you do this? And, and I thought, wait a minute, just calm down. Suppose, suppose you're a car expert and you're watching a movie and the, and the movie, it takes place in in 1955, so it's a period piece, but there's a car parked on the road and it's a 58 Bel Air. You say, nope, that doesn't belong there. That set designer or the, the whatever right. the title is who is responsible for that, they blew it. Mm-hmm. You'd be impressed that that person knew this, wouldn't right. you? If mm-hmm. the costumes were the wrong period, if the hairstyle was not representative of what was really going on in that time, you would pass judgment on those people and you would be praised for having done so. All I'm asking is the same latitude to offer comment on whether they got the science right. And I try to do it constructively. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, in the Star Wars film, uh, which one? Uh, the Force Awakens. There's this now, now specially upgraded Death Star that sucks energy out of a star. Now it could knock out like eight planets at once rather than just one planet. All right. It's a big Death Star. Okay, this is a badass Death Star. And I thought to myself, excuse me, you're you're sucking all the energy out of an actual star. So I ran a quick calculation on it. I said, dudes, you know, if you sucked all the energy out of a star, holding aside the fact that you would be that star right now, but let's assume they had ways to contain it. I'm giving it to them. You got ways to suck energy out of a star and then you're not a star. Fine. It's in a vessel. Fine. Now you beam it out and kill planets. You have enough energy to kill a thousand planets. A thousand, no, maybe a thousand, a million, 
No, uh, about 600 planets was the calculation I made. Okay. And they think they did something badass by knocking out six planets. So had they done the science right, they could have had a far more devastating weapon than the one they even portrayed in the film. That's an example of where I, I'm trying to be constructive about this. So I've done less of it lately. Uh, the last time I did it was uh, two weeks after the last Game of Thrones installment. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure people had enough time to watch the DVD version. You know, sure. the, the, the well, you know, it's HBO, so you don't DVD that. But make sure they stream it. Yeah, they stream it, and I'm going to make sure. I, so I, I checked on Twitter. I said I have a few observations about Game of Thrones. Um, it's, is are we late enough so that we can do that? And people say yes, bring it on. So there was there was a, a fan base that I think I had neglected because I was perhaps unjustifiably. Obeying the, you know, the responding to the anger of those who didn't like it. Anyhow, I just had a comment about the dragons. For example, the the ice dragon, it had blue dragon breath, and the dead brought to life dragon. And the regular dragon has like, you know, red, red, red normal like red normal, fire breath, normal dragon breath. Yeah, yeah, when like, one yeah. meets a dragon, yeah, yeah, yes. of course, that's of course that's the breath. And mm. so I said, well, if this if the dragon breath is actual glowing heat, then blue hot is three times hotter than red hot. And so the blue dragon breath, mm-hmm. going forward in the series, you can make some interesting storylines regarding how much hotter the blue the blue dragon's breath is relative to the red dragon. This is just astrophysically accurate things. And so so I tweeted that. I, I compared the two uh, snap screen captures from the from the show. And so people really liked that, and they, they joined in on it. And, and so I'm, I'm happy to play that role. But if, like I said, if it pisses people off, I'm having these thoughts anyway. Right. So if, you, if I don't put them on Twitter, they evaporate into the ether, uh, having gone through my head and moved on. But if I, if I share them, then they're shared for posterity. But it's up to you. It's not up to me. I'm not, I don't want to force anything on anybody. I'm, I'm a servant of your curiosity. I think you serve as well. <laughs> Do any shows ever reach out to you to get you know to consult with them when they're exploring some sort of out there scientific ideas? Yeah, it's great, uh, great point. The uh, <clears throat> generally, I will decline if a show wants me to consult for them. Usually, it's some basic physics that they need, and they don't need me to. I mean, I my level of physics knowledge is not unique in this world. They can get a graduate student who needs the couple of dollars they'll be paying. Uh, for the to advise on a script, and I, I don't. I'd rather spread that love. Um, you don't need my life's experience on this. So if it's just as an advisor, no, I'd, I generally decline. But there are other occasions where I'm asked to to uh, for to do a cameo, and I'm uh, so I did a cameo of myself on uh, The Big Bang Theory. And I was never asked back. I'm pretty sure it's because I really don't know how to act. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you live in the world of actors, and it's just a given. They went to Juilliard. Not Juilliard. Uh, what's the one in New York? Um, the NYU school. The yeah. Tisch School of mm-hmm. Acting. Sure. You know, everybody went, everybody's got a thing. Okay? Mm-hmm. Not me. So I, don't, I can be myself with some effort. <laughs> but I can't. Don't have me emote on, in front of the camera because I, I, I will fail at that. But... I, I had a blast just being myself on that show and, and meeting the actors and watching them do their trade and watching them interact with this, this script folk and the, you know, the, the, just to watch it all work because it's so much of what you guys who make this product take for granted that is still kind of a, a, a charming novelty to the rest of us. 
Um, so I will, when an artist, capital A, so it could be a writer, producer, um, animator, if they call me and they want to, it's because they want to add science to what they're doing, I'm there. I have to be there mm-hmm. because they're reaching for it. If they didn't reach and they tried to try to make it up, I'm glad that they want to, I'm glad that they want to anchor it. They want to anchor it in something real, no matter where else they take it uh, for uh, for the show. And I know it's not your beat, but I was asked to be a character in the movie Ice Age 5. <laughs> and when they asked me to do that, I'm sure I had this same reaction you just did, which was, there were four others of these. <laughs> did, I, did I miss something here? Did I, is there really enough material to do five of these? And so I was a, I was a weasel mm-hmm. in... Uh, and Not they ha- typecast at all. No. <laughs> and they, they they dressed the weasel in my trademark vest, mm-hmm. and I, they gave my hair do you know my hair at little widow's peak. So it was it was charming, and there was a science problem that had to be solved among these extinct ice age mammals, and I helped this character solve that problem. Great. So they were reaching for the science Perfect. in this, and I'm I'm there, and 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 I think artists carry again capital A it could be sculptor, painter, animator. They, I think they carry the soul of civilization, of everything we value in civilization. Why do you visit Europe and go to Florence? It's to see the art and the architecture and the, these achievements. You forget all the crusty politicians who were there. You remember those things that capture uh, and, and express and celebrate what it is to be human. These are the ways we express our emotions and our, our joys and our the things we cherish are preserved in our art. And if you want to put some science in it, just call me up. So what shows are getting it right? What shows are getting it wrong? So, oh, so getting back to your question, do I, are there points where I just say, no, no, I know how to suspend disbelief and, and, and just do it in a convincing way. Just right. do it authentically. Do it. Mm-hmm. Show me that you put a little thought into it. I'm with you. Okay? Yes. I'm mm-hmm. not going to jump all over you because... Mm-hmm. You know, I'll give you an example. Again, it's out of your thing, but I was, uh, if, you, if you remember the film uh, Monsters, Inc., mm-hmm. okay? I, I, maybe you had to have kids to have seen that. I don't know. If, like, I adults. have a niece and nephew, so. Yeah, yeah, so I don't know if adults just mm-hmm. upped and saw that film. <laughs> but uh, if you don't know the plot line, there's monsters that live at a factory that manufactures doors. These are the doors of the closets of children in their rooms. And so they have these doors, and what these monsters do is they walk through the door, and they show up in the closet of these children, and then they scare them. That's the whole point. And no one made a point of this, but oh my gosh, these doors are four-dimensional portals to a higher dimension. Okay? There's just a door sitting there in the middle of the factory, and you walk through it, and you come out on the other side in the closet of the child. That is a, that is, that is a wormhole. Okay? That's what wormholes do. And I, was, I said, well, this is really good. Mm-hmm. This is good, and I, I'm going to talk some more about it. Great. Even if they don't, mm-hmm. or no one else knows to celebrate it. They just think it's a quirky little cartoon thing. No, that's a wormhole, and more power to them. Somebody thought that up and thought it through. Yeah. I love it. So we've got to take a break. We'll be back with more from Neil deGrasse Tyson. C-Space at CES 2018 brings together the world's innovators, marketers, and creatives in one venue. Discover disruptive trends and how they're going to change the future of brand marketing and entertainment. Come share content, creativity, and technology with other industry leaders and expand your creative innovations. Discover C-Space. Register today at CES.tech. 
And we're back. So uh, we're living in an era now of fake news. There's a lot of challenging of science. How do you combat that? How do you live with it? Uh, I'm not thinking that we live in an era of fake news. We live in an era of our inability to know what is true and what is not. We shouldn't be blaming the fake news. In a free society, in a free culture, you, you have to recognize the susceptibility of your civilization to those forces. So what do you do? You inoculate yourself from those forces, thereby rendering uh, impotent any power that fake news would have over you. And science, science literacy, is not simply how, you know, what is the Big Bang and what is a DNA molecule and how does a combustion engine work. That's an aspect of science literacy. It's not the one I care about the most. The one that matters most is the, is how is your brain wired for thought? So I walk up to you and say, I have these crystals and they, they'll heal every ailment. If only. Of your body. Okay. <laughs> so if you say, great, I'll buy them. Okay. That's one kind of reaction. Mm -hmm. Another one is, nah, you just get out of here. That's all BS. Each of those two responses are equally intellectually lazy. Okay? What's harder, which we don't invest time in doing, is probing this overture. What are they made of? What is the mechanism that is claimed to work? What is the evidence that it works? Has this been tested in multiple cases? Has it, you start asking these questions and the person then runs away. Right. But you're asking questions because you're curious. And curiosity is what every scientist has in every moment of their lives. And it's what every child has at every moment of their lives. If you retain curiosity into adulthood, then you are positioned to wonder whether something you were just exposed to is true. And then explore it a few steps deeper. And not just take it as a given. And yes, that's harder. It takes more work. But if we're trained to do that, if you're trained to be curious, no, I'm not going to train you to be curious. I'm going to make sure I don't interfere with the curiosity you had as a kid so that you still have it. And if you're curious as an adult, you'll be questioning everything. And upon doing so, that is the inoculation against charlatans in this world. So that's how I think about it. It's not the fault of the fake news. It's the fault of the fault lies in ourselves not in the news. You've had several presidents on your show before. Do you have any interest in talking to the current president? Okay, yeah. So I've had uh, uh, President Carter, uh, President Clinton, and I would try to get maybe George W. I actually worked under him. I was twice appointed in his administration. Uh, so there might be enough of a connection there to pull him on. I really wanted Obama while he was a sitting president. That didn't happen, but I, I'm still happy to, to get him. Uh, for the show. Uh, so in the show, it's not just entertainment people, it's politicians, people who are significant on the landscape, who we all care about in some way or another because they influence us, they touch us, they have power over us. And so any of them make fair game for Star Talk. Uh, so uh, definitely Obama would be a good get for us. I, 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 we, I don't know if I, our people are still working with his people <laughs> to make that happen. And, and I, I'm not unknown to, to President Obama, so that's it's a matter of scheduling, and he's got to write his books or whatever. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, uh, the you know celebrities always have some project that they're putting out there. So if we show up on the list of their media route, we're happy to take them. That's really how that works. And, you know, that's how the industry, that's how the cogs of the wheel of the industry turn. It's how they get this kind of 
media exposure in the first place for their next project. Um, for Trump, I'd be delighted to have President Trump on Star Talk any any time. I would love to hear you talk to him about climate change. Well, what I would do is, I don't beat people over the head. By the way, 60 million people voted for him. So I could beat him on the head and say, and say you know, you, you should have known this. You didn't know that. How could you do this? And it's like, wait a minute. It's the, let me turn to the people who voted for him. Did you know that he didn't know this? Maybe you didn't know it. And I'm an educator. Mm-hmm. So when I think someone doesn't know something, I don't get angry with them. I think of what might have gone wrong in their educational path that needs to be um, um, adjusted or infused with ways of com- getting a deeper knowledge and understanding of nature. So I, what I probably, if, if I were with him in the interview, what I, would, I would say to him, all right, you, you're fundamentally a businessman. So... Uh, here's some evidence for why creative investments in science and technology and engineering and math is the most efficient and potent ways to grow the U.S. economy. And the history of this exercise persistently bears this out. Then he'll think about it as the bo- as the corporation of the United States of America mm-hmm. and what is the bottom line and is there wealth being generated or not. And that's I would try to get him... Because if he's a businessman, I, I, you can't talk to him like a politician. He's not a politician. Mm-hmm. And that's resoundingly evidenced by things he said. We're shocked by what he says as though he's a, you know, if a politician had said those things, you know, you'd be shocked. But if a, if a citizen businessman says these things, we and we're equally as shocked? No, he's like a guy. He's a guy. All right. So he says these things and you want to like, no, you're not supposed to say that because you're a president. No, he's a guy. That happens to be president, okay? So there he is. I think his business sense might be something one could appeal to. And that would shape a whole a whole frontier of decisions related to his presidency that some of which are not happening or happening in little bits and drabs. And I think if we redouble that, that's what it would happen in the conversation. And I look forward to seeing it. <laughs> and then one last question. Mm-hmm. You know you've arrived when you've been parodied on Saturday Night Live. What do you think of <laughs> Keenan Thompson's performance? <laughs> okay, so actually I've been parodied three times on Saturday Night Live. Uh, one of them, uh, Kenan Th- it was Keenan Thompson on uh, all times. One of them, he was a guest on Fox and Friends in the morning and portraying me. And he's, he's got it down. He's got my tie. You know, I didn't think I was like as heavy as he is, <laughs> but if it's if it's a caricature... You know my middle-aged man belly. It'll you can caricature that. The um, so yeah, he's he's got it. And the uh, and the most recent one is when he uh, was saying what he was going to do for the total eclipse. <laughs> then he just got all giddy about it. So that that was fun. Uh, so I I give artists wide berth for what it is they want to do. Uh, my brother's an artist. I care deeply about uh, art as a human enterprise. So if someone wants to. Poke fun at me in whatever way works as art or humor or parody. Just just go for it. I'm not going to chase after you. If it, if it works, that meant they hit something right. that that resonates with with an audience. Um, there's an, another indication. If I can uh, mention this, sure. um, I wrote a book that released mm-hmm. earlier in the summer that uh, I hadn't I hadn't anticipated would resonate so strongly with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's called the uni- uh, astrophysics for people in a hurry. That's what it's called. And I kind of like the juxtaposition of astrophysics and in a hurry. Kind of like like neurosurgery in three easy steps. You know, just, <laughs> you know, you got to pick up that book. If it exactly. had that title, you got to like, where is this coming from? Um, it's not a long book, but it's handpicked 
curated, mind-blowing cosmic knowledge dropped on you in this book. And, okay, I wrote it, but then, oh my gosh, it resonated with people. Then it hit the bestseller list, and it was at number one at New York Times bestseller for 10 weeks. And I'm thinking, whoa, this is, this is flattering, but shocking, because science books never make it, to, hardly ever make it to the bestseller list. It's the entertainment books, the celebrity tell-alls, the, the, pundit, uh, the political pundit books, the athlete memoirs, this sort of thing. So you celebrate when it's there at all. Then it's on the New York Times list, and it went to number one. It's like, oh my gosh, maybe there's some... Maybe the public has a higher appetite for science than we've ever admitted to ourselves. And I'm honored, and it's a privilege, to be on a landscape of all... uh, A landscape of people and products and... Not so much products, but people and productions that serve this curiosity. And just look at the, the success of the Big Bang Theory, just in the ratings. You look at, and I think it goes back to CSI, where they had good-looking people playing scientists. Mm-hmm. And not just, oh, is the, the door was, had a, the window was ajar, the door was ajar. No, no, this is like, I'm studying the DNA, and I'm decoding the chemistry and the physiology. There was real science portrayed in good-looking people who had actual backstories. And the scientist wasn't just a wire-haired, uh, lab-coat-donning person we say, Doc, is the world going to end? Yes, it'll be fine. Okay, thanks. And then you move on and care about these other characters. You know, is the doctor married? Do they have children? Do they hurt right. in night? You know, you don't even ask those questions. Mm-hmm. So scientists were were dehumanized. That's not the right word. What's the word? They were were not granted the same privilege of character development that other characters who were portrayed were. In modern times, they all are. Right. And it's how you get... Uh, the biopics like like um, The Imitation Game and... A Beautiful Mind. The Beautiful Mind, which is the earliest one mm-hmm. among those, and the, the Theory of Everything with Stephen Hawking. And you get The Martian. And, and in that movie, science itself was a character. You didn't care much about the people's lives because you cared most, is Mark Watney going to not die today? Mm-hmm. How clever is he with his science and engineering. And how do you do on the science? What kind of grade? Oh, well, very good, because the author of the book on which the movie's based, Andy Weir, would later confide in me. He said, you know, when I was writing this book, I was imagining you were looking over my shoulder. <laughs> of course he was. And he said, I didn't want you tweeting about my book after it comes out. So he redoubled his effort to make everything plausibly accurate. Perfect. And then you get that, it's a foundation, and then you take steps beyond that to then tell your story. So... Uh, I think the Martian succeeded in turning science into a character as never before. Well, thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure, and I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the season. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking with Ed Helms about his new special on Comedy Central. See you next time. Entertainment Summit, presented by Variety, will showcase emerging technologies and popular themes in entertainment exclusively at CES 2018. 
From film to television, see how pioneers and innovators of the industry are transforming the entertainment experience. Register today at ces.tech. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.